A Focus Summary of Chapters 28-31 to 31 of Bug Jargal An escort of well-equipped Negro soldiers arrived, and Dauverny's captor untied him and handed him over to their chief in exchange for a bag of money. Dauverny later learned that these men formed the special bodyguard of Biasu. A circuitous route brought them to a cave concealed by a brightly colored curtain and guarded by a double line of Negroes like those who had escorted him there. Signs were exchanged, the curtain lifted, and Dauverny led inside. Between the ranks of soldiers, a colored man sat on a mahogany block covered in a carpet of parrot's feathers. His ridiculous hodgepodge of a costume included a cross of St. Louis, a hat with a red cockade, and mismatched epaulets decorated by stars taken from a pair of spurs. Beside him were two white children, dressed as slaves and holding fans of peacock feathers. Seated on one side of him was the obi who had rescued Dauverny from the griot, and who looked at him steadfastly, with flashing eyes. The grotto's ill-assorted decorations included a fleur-de-lis, a tricolor flag, the black standard, and a portrait of Ogé, a mulatto killed with twenty others for the crime of rebellion. The Negro general made Dauverny approach, sneered at him like a hyena, and said, I am Biasu. His voice and ferocious laugh made Dauverny tremble, but he said nothing and stayed calm. Dauverny withstood Biasu's efforts to intimidate him into supplication, and even deliberately provoked him to anger by referencing the death of his ally, Leogri. Biasu threatened that Dauverny could tell Leogri of the liberty his brethren had gained when he joined him in death the next day. Biasu then ordered Dauverny to sit down, called his men to sound the drums that call the soldiers to assemble, and asked the obi to perform the sacrament of Mass. Turning a chest of sugar into an altar, producing objects stolen from the church where Dauverny had married Marie, and using a cross-handled dagger for a crucifix, the cave was readied for a parody of the divine ceremony. The insurgent army had drawn up close to the grotto's entrance and were ordered on their knees by Biasu. Dauverny refused, but was forced to his knees by the two powerful men who guarded him. The obi performed his duties with affected solemnity, while the insurgents prostrated themselves with great enthusiasm. In a moment of exaltation, he called for the killing of all the whites, and the rebels shouted and clashed their weapons together. At the conclusion of the ceremony, Biasu said to Dauverny that while they were accused of having no religion, he could now see that they were good Catholics. Dauverny was unsure whether this was said ironically or in good faith. Then Biasu filled a glass bowl with black maize, threw some white maize on top, shook it dramatically until the white grains had disappeared below, and told his men in triumph to observe what had become of the whites. This demonstration was received by another echo of shouts. He then called on his men to use their force without pity to obtain their rights. He called the white planters enemies of humanity, who thought they could drive the blacks away like mosquitoes. But, he said, they trembled now. He told his men to seek liberty and vengeance. The commandments might forbid them to kill their fathers— but nothing stops them from turning to their comrade and saying, 
Kill my father, and I will kill yours. He asked them to follow the noble example of Buckman, to show no mercy on the whites, and to conquer or die. The victors would be rewarded with pleasures on earth, and the fallen rewarded in heaven. This warlike speech had a tremendous effect on the insurgents, who responded with an outburst of enthusiasm. Then, at a mere gesture from Biasu, the tumult was stilled and the crowd silenced. Another spectacle then attracted Dauverny's attention, as the Obi, having completed his role as healer of souls, now took up the healing of bodies. With some makeshift tools and a handful of substances, he went to work healing their wounds— securing their confidence in his powers by combining his cures with incantations. When someone brought news that a patient had died, he claimed to have foreseen it, declaring the man a traitor whose death was a judgment. When one of the Negro chiefs came to him badly wounded, he burned some pages of the missal, mixed the cinders with wine in a sacramental cup, and told him to drink. The conviction that he was healed may have been enough to bring about the man's cure. First priest, then physician, the Obi then played the role of the sorcerer, and he called men forward to read the Book of Fate. As they gathered round him, a colored man with a madras headdress came to Biasu with a look of consternation and spoke to him in a low voice. Doverny was close enough to hear him tell Biasu that a messenger had brought news that Buckman was killed in battle and that the whites had his head as a trophy. Biasu seemed only pleased at the consequent increase of his own importance. He ordered the messenger to be kept back for a quarter of an hour, then approached the obi, who was dispensing prophetic observations, and whispered in his ear. The obi continued with his prophecies. He described the lines of the forehead that indicate that one would acquire a fortune, risk danger of drowning, and be taken prisoner— and then he said he had seen them all on the forehead of Bugjargal. Doverny concluded from this that Bugjargal had indeed been taken prisoner. When an old Spanish negro with his eye nearly torn from the socket approached the sorcerer to ask him to dress the wound, the obi, no longer playing the physician, merely thrust him aside, declaring that a line on his head indicated that he would become blind. He then described the lines that predict a man will have a short life— will die in battle, and will be killed on the scaffold, and claimed that Buckman had all these seemingly unreconcilable marks. At that moment, Biasu called for the messenger, who delivered a sealed package containing the news that Buckman had been slain in battle and his head exposed on the scaffold in the main square of Cap. The obi leaped on the altar and exclaimed in an accent of triumph that all his revelations had come true. The panic of the Negroes turned into an admiring terror, and they listened to the Obi with confidence and fear. Biasu then asked the Obi to divine his future, and the Obi read in the lines of his hand, of his long life, great wisdom, wholesome severity, talent of governing, genius, foresight, and that he would vanquish his enemies and achieve glory. He also declared that the horseshoe mark on his forehead indicated that prompt vengeance would be taken for an insult, and then added, in a curious manner, I have this mark. Finally, he said that the letter M on Biasu's forehead indicated genius, glory, and power, and that he had been elected by fate. 
Biesu thanked him and returned to his throne. The Obi called him back, indicating one last sign that proved he had much liberality and enjoyed making others happy. And Biasu, understanding his meaning, threw money into the Obi's plate to prove that his art never lied. This miraculous horoscope took its desired effect on the army, who trusted blindly in their sorcerer and their predestined chief. Doverny could not shake a feeling of familiarity about this strange being, and he resolved to speak to him. He asked the Obi to prophesy his future. Taking his hand, the Obi announced, with a ring of pleasure in his voice, that the lines of life predicted Doverny would die an unnatural and violent death. He then added that the lines of his forehead indicated that he took an enemy for a friend and a friend for an enemy, and that another signified that his wife had been carried off. Doverny tried to free himself and tear away the Obi's veil, but he was held back, and the Obi warned him again to prepare himself for death. <laughs>